we're going to talk about overcoming fear. If you wanted to categorize life's most popular fears that most people have, you could put them into a couple different categories. And I know somebody's going to come up to me after the service and say, here's another category, but that's not the point, so don't do it, okay? All right. Uh, our fears are related to loss, to failure, to rejection, or to the unknown. They're related to loss. It might be the loss of a spouse. It might be the loss of a relationship. It might be the loss of a marriage or a child. It might be the loss of your health or the loss of your job or the loss of your control in your life or loss of security that you have. But when it comes to loss, we don't like that. We get kind of panicked. For whatever reason, I've, the last couple of times um, this week, I've not put my wallet where it goes. It's supposed to go on top of my nightstand in my room. So when I go to leave the house, and I'm like the rest of you, when it's time to leave the house, it's time to go when it's time to leave the house. And I grab my keys, my phone, my wallet, and out the door. Where there have been a couple of times that my wallet just wasn't there, and I'm like, well, where is it? I went downstairs, looked at my computer bag, wasn't there. Went out, looked in the car, wasn't there. Looked in the van, wasn't there. Walked back upstairs. It was really, really close to where it was supposed to be, but it wasn't there. And it wasn't on top of my dresser, which is about this high. It was in the top drawer. It's only like this far away, but I couldn't see it. I almost left my house, came to the church, and looked for it in the drawer where I put it here in my office. But I was like, no, let me go check one more place. But I found it. It was lost, caused me a little bit of anxiety. Where's my money? Where's my wallet? Uh, I didn't, wasn't upset because... I was losing any money because there's never any money in my wallet. But I wanted to find it and know where it was to prove who I was if anybody ever asked. But we're, we're afraid of losing, and that, that doesn't really set well with us. Or maybe for you, you're afraid of failure, that you, maybe you feel like you don't measure up. Perhaps you feel like you can't keep up financially. You don't measure up financially. Or you're not doing enough to be able to support, to provide the things that you think that your family needs. A lot of times, what I find anyway is that what I think our needs are really wants, and there aren't things that I really need to get all that upset about. Or maybe your failure that you're afraid about has nothing to do with uh, material things. It has everything to do with eternal things. Maybe you're afraid that I'm just not going to measure up with my faith. I just can't seem to get over this obstacle in my faith, and spiritually, I just feel like I'm failure, and I can't make it, that I'm not able to overcome. Maybe your biggest fear is to have to do with rejection. Maybe the worst thing that could happen to you is for other people to devalue you. That you put all of your worth, your self-worth, which God gave to you and instilled in you, you put it in the opinions of men and women who look at you, who know very little about your lives. Because if we're really honest, most other people only know about the highlight reels of my life. They only know what I post to Twitter and Facebook or what I share to them. And what we often do is we don't share the bad stuff because why? Well, that doesn't, doesn't make people happy, and that's not good. Maybe you feel like you're left out again. You feel like you don't fit into your family. Maybe you feel like you're left out because you're not married and everybody else around you is married. Maybe you feel like you don't fit in because you're married, but you don't have any kids, and everybody keeps saying, well, you need to have kids. Well, that's not the role for everybody, and, and that is a very complicated situation. Regardless of want or desire, sometimes the results that we get are not there, and we don't have great answers for those. Maybe you feel rejected because your life doesn't measure up to how other people tell you that your life is supposed to be. And maybe you're most afraid of the unknown. Maybe that's why kids are afraid of the dark, isn't it? Their imaginations go crazy, especially when they're not tired and you're putting them in bed anyway because you've had enough. <laughs> I heard something. Something makes noise. I even said it this week to Ella. I was like, sometimes houses just make noise. Go to sleep. <laughs> Maybe you're afraid of the unknown when it comes to a job or um, good or bad. 
I'll read for you a couple of verses. I don't have an awful lot of verses today. I didn't say I don't have a lot to say. I said I don't have an awful lot of scripture, different passages that I'm reading. The first is going to come, a little book in the, the New Testament, 2 Timothy. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 6 and 7. It'll come up behind me. It's right after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 2 Thessalonians, um, 1 and 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 1, verse 6 and following. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. If I stop there for just a second, that is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his child in the faith, the person that he took under his wing and he took with him and he sent him out into ministry. Because our job as ministers to grow more disciples, to help people to nurture and to grow in their faith, isn't to let me show, let me do everything for you and cater to your needs. We do that way too often. I do that way too often. That's not it. What we are called to do, biblical discipleship, is to take somebody under your wing and bring them alongside you and train them up and mentor them and then release them. Sometimes you have to kick them in the pants and get them out so that they will go and do because nobody ever feels completely ready. And if you feel completely ready to do all the things you're called to do, we might have a problem. But what Paul did to Timothy is that he is charging him, and he's going to remind him some of his heritage about what he's been taught and what he's been called to do. In the church, sometimes we even use some of this phraseology that sounds kind of weird to people who haven't been in the church a long time. And honestly, if we church people would pay enough attention, the phrases we use are weird. (laughs) So when Paul in church sometimes will talk about someone as a Timothy of a church, a minister that a church has sent out, or someone that maybe you have worked with. But that's language that's taken out of these relationships that we see the Apostle Paul had, not just with Timothy, but with others. He invested in Timothy. He saw this promise that God had put in Timothy's life, this ability that God had given to him that had been nurtured by his family, that had been really filled up by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwelled in Timothy, just like the Holy Spirit indwells in you when you choose to follow after Jesus. So Paul is challenging his, his child, his son, in the faith. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on the hands, through the laying on of hands. For God gave us, so it's not just Timothy, but us. God, Paul is talking about his people, the church, the kingdom, Christians, you and me, the people you can look around in this room and see. Those who are part of the church or who are seeking after Jesus or trying to figure out what their life might look like if they really trusted Jesus. He says, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What better response? We don't want to live lives that are filled with fear. We don't want to be afraid of anything lurking around the corner. What I want to do is be able to trust God with my life. And instead of having fear in our life, it says, verse 7, God did not give us, his people, a spirit of fear. But there's some other things that are listed there, three much better qualities. All right, if you're given a choice, You hadn't studied for the test. I pass it out, give you a little blocker so you can't cheat off anybody next to you, and I give you two options. Option A is you can have a spirit of fear, or you can have a spirit of power and love and self-control. What do you choose? The second one every time, every time, except for that somebody who thinks they're funny and they fill in the wrong thing and ruin the analogy, right? Every time. I don't want fear. I want power, love, self-control. I want power in a way that comes from God that doesn't abuse other people. I want self-control in a way that, that comes from God and it causes me to think of myself last and others first so that they can grow into their faith. 
I want the power of God in me so I don't have to be afraid, but instead that I can trust God. You may have heard it said that fear is the opposite of faith. And I don't think that's exactly true. I'll articulate that a little bit better. I think fear is faith in the wrong things. Fear is faith in the wrong things. It's trusting in your own ability more than you're trusting in the ability of God to take care of you. It's putting your faith in your own ingenuity, your own power, your own what fill in the blank instead of trusting God. Or I could phrase it for you this way. Fear is placing faith in the what-ifs. Has anybody ever what-if yourself to death? Right. Thinking through a scenario in life, well, what if I do this? Well, what if I do this? Well, what if I do this? And what if I do this? And aliens come down and get out with gorillas and they come and attack us. Then that would be the worst thing in the world. So no, we're not having pizza for dinner. Right? Sometimes we do all these what-ifs and they just don't even make any logical sense. We just do crazy things. And sometimes we become paralyzed to make a decision, sometimes to make a good, great, godly decision because we make up all these crazy things in our head. Or maybe it's that we allow the enemy, the devil, to speak truth into our life to keep you from doing what God has called for you to do. And not just called, but for those that have put their faith in Jesus who want to do what Romans 6 talks about and to live as new creations. Not just what God has called for us to do, what God has commanded for us to do. Not a spirit of timidity and fear. There's a great example way back in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis is the very, very first book in the Bible. If it's not in yours, let me help you get a new Bible. Genesis is the very beginning. Exodus is the second book in there. Um, There's a story that happens in Exodus chapter 3. It's Moses in the burning bush. Now Moses goes and he's walking along and all of a sudden there's this great bush that is absolutely consumed with fire, yet, or it's engulfed with fire, but it's not being consumed. It's set ablaze, yet the bush isn't burning up and Moses comes before it and the voice comes out from God and he says, take off your sandals for the place that you are standing is, is holy ground. And God commissions Moses to go and to take the people of Israel out of slavery, to go to Egypt, to say to Pharaoh, hey, all of your slaves that you've had for 400 years that are doing all your dirty work, let them go. What Moses says in chapter 4, verse 1, is this. Then Moses answered like the rest of us would have answered. Let's just be really honest for a minute, okay? Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. What's Moses doing? Well, what if they don't listen? God, I hear you clearly. I know exactly what you are telling me to do. But what if? What if they grumble? What if they complain? What if Pharaoh kills me? What if he doesn't let me go? And he says, what if, what if, what if? Now, one of the things I know that I will let, not let, I'll let Moses off the hook a little bit. Most of my what ifs aren't real. Moses' what if here was, what if they don't listen? Who in the world are you? Where did you come from? You smell like sheep. Get out of here. How in the world are you going to talk to Pharaoh? He says, what if they don't listen? And what God responds, he says, I'm going to take away your what ifs. I'm going to tell you what happened. See that staff in your hand? Throw it down on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake. I wouldn't pick it up if my staff turned into a snake. That's just me. Maybe you like snakes. You're wrong. I don't. Snakes are creepy. I don't like them. 
right? But he throws his staff on the ground, and it turns into a snake. And there's, there's so many of these different signs and miracles that God gives to Moses so that when he goes before the people, that when he goes before Pharaoh, he can perform these miracles, not by his power, but by God's. And what God does is he takes away the what-ifs. Moses makes another one. He says, well, I don't speak really well. He says, great, your brother does. Send him with you. See what happens if you what-if God? You rope other people into doing stuff that you didn't want to do either. <laughs> we, we have to trust God. And not just run down the gamut of the what ifs so much so that we get paralyzed. A couple weeks ago, I talked about decision fatigue. There's too many things in front of us. There's too many choices. That's why you can't choose to watch something on Netflix. There's too many options. You're just like, ah, I'll just go to bed. Or stay up all night watching reruns of, or a marathon of one show. But, but trust God and what he has called for you to do and how he has called you to live. Not how the world around us has called you to live. Not how your family has called for you to live. Unless... They love Jesus like you do, and they want the very best for you, and you can line up with what they're telling you with what Scripture says. The problem is a lot of times, and we're, we, I'm guilty of this in the church, we say these things that sound Christian, but they don't line up with Scripture anywhere. And that's where I have to be really careful to guard my heart and my mind and know what God's Word says to make sure that these little half-truths don't sneak in to what I believe. You know, sometimes you maybe don't want to trust God. Well, what if the economy drops? God, I can't change jobs and take less money to spend more time with my family because then I can't pay for my house or then I can't pay for my, my car or they won't be able to buy my kids all this stuff that they, that they need. What if you lose your job? What if somebody gets in a car wreck? What if your kids get sick? What if you get sick and you don't get better? Will you still trust God or will you be afraid? Sometimes the things that we fear the most reflect what we value the most. Sometimes the things that we fear the most reflect what we value the most. Maybe your biggest fear is that your family is going to get sick or get hurt, and maybe you value them the most, and family is good and great and wonderful and a gift from God, and you can't have mine. They're the best. But I have to put God before everything and allow him to work everything else into place. Anything that I put on the altar where God belongs that should not be there, the biblical definition of that is idolatry, whether if it's your money or your family or your job or your dog. Anything that stands in the place of God is, is idolatry, and we're not called to do it. Think about this way. The same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. So it's not about your circumstances that's around you. It's about what's on the inside. It's about what you're made of and how you respond to the circumstances that are around you. Because you might say, well, water is just going to make me soft. And boiling water, well, depends if you're a potato or an egg. We're not classifying people into potato and eggs. Don't have that conversation at lunch. Just eat some potato salad and be done with it, okay? But our circumstances around us, they do affect us. They do impact us. The people that I choose to spend time with are going to impact my faith for, for the good or for the worse. And I have to be careful about where I spend my time. I need to be careful that I spend my time around other believers so I can be built up, that I can be edified, to use one of our churchy words, that I can be encouraged. And I also need to spend time around people who are far from God because they need somebody to share Jesus with them. And I needed to be reminded, too, that I can, if I'm not careful, become far from God very quickly. And we need somebody to reach out to me as well. 
Maybe one of the things that you can take away from this message today, talking about not being afraid, but having a spirit of boldness and love and power, is that you can fill in this blank. Is you can say, I'm not trusting God with... Don't say it right now. Maybe something comes to mind right away. Uh, Maybe it doesn't. But you need to answer that question. I need to answer that question. I am not trusting God with... Maybe you know right now exactly what that is. Or maybe you're going, yeah, I know there's something, but it's not coming to mind right away. I would encourage you, answer the question. It might not be this morning. It might not be this week. It might not be this year. Say, God, what am I not trusting you with? And help me to entrust you with it. Because when we recognize what the problem is, we can start working towards a solution. When we recognize what our fears related to our faith have become, we can choose to trust God anyways. Courage is action in the face of fear. It's not not being afraid. It's taking action anyway. The psalmist describes it a couple different ways. Psalm 56 verse 4. Psalm 56, verse 4, I'll read verse 3, too. When I am afraid, I put my trust in Facebook. Oh, no, no, no. When I am afraid, I put my trust in my bank account. When I am afraid, I put my trust in fallen, broken people who are just as messed up as I am. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? If you're reading your scriptures, turn back just a couple pages, still in Psalm to chapter 34, verses 4 and whatever other verses I include. Psalm 34, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord, and guess what? He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. What are you not trusting God with? Let's pray. Father, may we trust you completely. God, as this song that rang out as we celebrated communion together, uh, you're the God with angel armies. Angels aren't these cute little winged creatures, but they're your warriors. God, you, at, they're at your command. God, you are all powerful and all knowing and all loving. And God, we can trust you. So who in the world do we have to be afraid of? Father, oftentimes our biggest um, detractor or enemy is ourselves. God, may we trust you and not have fear in the process. God, we love you.
Show us in those places where our faith is strong so we can be encouraged. God, also make crystal clear those places where we are not trusting you and help us to fill in that blank. God, that we can move on, that we can heal, that we can move past, and that we can help others to grow in their faith. God, thank you for our time together, for the truth of your word that is double-edged, that is living and active, that pierces to the heart to change the lives of dirty, wretched sinners like me. God, thank you for Jesus and for him, how we can celebrate. In Christ's name, amen.